I invite you to pull out your Bibles if you'd like to follow along. And before we get into the scripture, I'm going to give you a little background. But you can go ahead and find 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. And then we're going to jump to chapter 5 after that. But first, let's look at the context of this passage to better inform our hearing and our understanding of the word. The Apostle Peter sent this letter from Rome to Christians in five Roman provinces in Asia, in Asia Minor, but we do not know who actually wrote 1 Peter. Some thought it was Peter, but it actually, commentaries say that it was not him. Their suffering and social tensions were very thick in that time and were due to the conversion of the Gentiles to Christianity in a very Greco-Roman culture. Christianity was a foreign religion being introduced. Those who converted were despised, even by their own families. The patriarchal society of Rome was suspicious, and they were fearful that this conversion would wreak havoc on their society in many ways, causing hierarchical relationships to um, just fall apart. Romans believed that foreign religions would cause immorality, insubordination of women in the home, and that sedition against the state would happen as well. Conversion to Christianity came with much more of a risk than Christianity comes with today. First Peter sees all these negative perceptions but counters them with lots of exhortations in this passage about what it looks like to imitate Christ. These exhortations mimic Proverbs. They're brief, pithy sayings that teach, teach us how to live like Christ. And these really stuck with people in an oral culture. The Gospels have more than a hundred of these sayings that are universal in application, and they require little um, explanation. As you listen to the scripture, take note. Before all these entreaties about the conduct in the passage, notice that the beginning word is beloved. It reminds believers of their belonging, their connectedness to each other, their sense of hope, just as if God were penning this letter to us. So listen for the word of the Lord. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. Now we jump to 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around, looking for someone to devour. 
Resist him, steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some church members and I have been meeting every Monday for Lectio Divina to sit with a passage of scripture, reading it several times through with a couple minutes of silence in between each reading to allow the passage to soak in deeply and hear what God is speaking afresh, fresh and anew to us each time. We comment regularly how we are amazed that these scriptures written so long ago are still so relevant and fresh and applicable to our lives today. And this passage is no ex exception. As God's beloved children, we are reminded that the fiery ordeal taking place to test us may seem strange, but to not let it surprise us. Instead, we should rejoice at the opportunity to join with Christ and to better understand Christ's sufferings. This is not the first time in 1 Peter that we are encouraged to rejoice in our sufferings. The words earlier in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 say something very similar. In this you rejoice. Even now, for a little while, you have to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Fiery ordeal is very strong language, yet it is intentional. It is meant to not only get our attention, but it points to the eschatology, the study of the end times, that is signifying the end is coming and it's the beginning of a new era that is about to take place. The duration of suffering often feels long when we're going through it, yet it reminds us that it will be for a little while. We need to hear this reinforcement because the text uses that exact phrase in verse 10 of chapter 5, saying, after you have suffered for a little while. This gives us hope that it is temporal, that this too shall pass. Suffering is not meant to last. Circumstances and conditions may not change, such as some health conditions. However, our perspective can change. With practice, we may not view the suffering as egregious. This little while in this passage may not seem short-term right now, during the coronavirus, as we anticipate what the future may hold. School for children of all ages on pause, perhaps indefinitely for, for a while, for, and maybe moving online in the fall. Meetings, events, special trips and vacations postponed or even canceled, and the indefinite, ambiguous nature of all of this. 
I was recently in a Bible study group with a woman also named Stephanie, who I found so very inspiring when she shared a piece of her story. She shared how her oldest of four children was diagnosed with leukemia when he was only five years old. This radically changed their lives, as you can imagine. Stephanie describes herself as very social. She was used to going out and about all the time for various events. But all of that came to a screeching halt. Because her son's immune system was so compromised and so fragile, she could no longer bring him anywhere. He had to remain home from school, from church, from all other events, parks and playgrounds that he was accustomed to. The risk of germs was just too high. For two straight years, she was at home with him and her other child. They didn't have the second two at that point. She would go to the grocery store at midnight when there were very, very few people. And this was in a time before the emergence of online shopping with the conveniences we now have. She would come home and sanitize each item brought in the house at, after midnight. And in light of her experience, the coronavirus is nothing new. She has lived like an, through an experience like this before, which deeply changed her perspective. She understands the little while this passage refers to and can step into it in a way that many of us are not quite able to yet or struggle with anyway. Stephanie is a very inspiring woman since she allowed her faith and her perspective to be refined by a fiery ordeal such as leukemia. It's through this fire that something is refined, reshaped, and made new again. It is a similar process that we undergo when we face trials and suffering. Have any of you ever watched glass being blown before? It's a pretty extraordinary process when you see the raw, lifeless material suddenly take shape. In this careful craft, it's, uh, it's amazing when all of a sudden with that heat, that patience, that little while, something lifeless is transformed by the fire. It's that little while. If you haven't visited yet after the virus lifts, I encourage you to check out the glass spot on the north, north side to check out this really cool process. Beauty cannot emerge without suffering. Just like childbirth, there is immense suffering before the emergence of a beautiful new life. The evolution of a new job or career takes suffering through waiting, discernment, and perhaps financial hardship before something new and beautiful emerges. Isn't it amazing to see how natural elements such as water and fire can have such a transformative effect upon our lives? Yet so often we fear the unknown. We allow anxiety to rule in our hearts instead of living into the present in mindfulness as Chris Reyna has taught us recently. Think back to the story of Moses seeing a burning bush and the fiery ordeal he experienced. Sometimes we become fearful of the unknown and the anxiety leading up to it can be worse than the actual event itself and more paralyzing as well. We conjure up images of suffering and hardship that never come to fruition. 
But fire for Moses with the burning bush bore witness to an angel that brought God's message of hope and deliverance to those who were enslaved. Don't you think that God can do the same for you? The experience of suffering you are facing is only meant to last a little while. And perhaps it will bring good news for you as well, if you have eyes to see it and ears to hear it. This passage normalizes that suffering will happen and provides a powerful opportunity to respond to suffering that will come our way. Martin Luther King Jr. shares about this in the book that some of us are reading now called Strength to Love, when he says, We are gravely mistaken to think that Christianity protects us from the pain and agony of mortal existence. Christianity has always insisted that the cross we bear precedes the glory and the crown we wear. To be a Christian, one must take up his cross with all its difficulties and agonizing tragedy-packed content and carry it until that very cross leaves its mark upon us and redeems us to that more excellent way that comes only through suffering. Will we choose to rejoice, as this passage suggests and encourages us to do? Or will we allow suffering to harden our hearts? We can be encouraged that suffering does have a purpose. It is not in vain. We are told that suffering will allow us to partake in the glory of God more fully and richly when his glory is revealed. Rejoicing is helping us to practice and fulfill our purpose of being here on earth to worship God. Um, and suffering is also the extraordinary refining process, like glass refined by fire, helping us experience God's glory more fully, more deeply, and having God's spirit dwell and made manifest in us more fully. We jump ahead now to chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, to look at that text. It reminds us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he will exalt us in due time. Suffering places us in a meek, humble state, in a, even a submissive state at times. We're often uncertain of what to do or how to proceed. We usually don't have the answers or the perspective when walking through something so foreign, new, and uncertain. The author reminds us to humble ourselves. What a great reminder and a great response. Humbleness requires us to take on the task of being an, a learner, an observer, and a receiver. It often means asking for help when suffering creates limitations beyond our control. It's much easier to learn humbleness in the face of suffering. But once again, if our eyes are open and our ears are open, the challenge is to keep this humble posture long after the suffering subsides. Notice the word choice in here, so that he may exalt you. It does not say if he exalts you. It teaches us that the wonderful byproduct of humbling ourselves is that God will lift us up when God deems the time is just right. 
Another noteworthy exhortation that this passage reminds us of is to cast our anxiety upon God because God cares for us. What a great reminder in these troubling times. This verse acknowledges that we will have anxiety, but God can handle it. Our anxiety is a normal part of our human experience. We can choose how we will respond, though. Sometimes people seem to think that they're not being faithful Christians when they have anxiety, but it is normal. It's what we do with it that we can control. Nothing is too small or too large or beyond the scope of God's capability to hear and respond to and listen to and to redeem. Suffering became a gateway to the receptivity of the gospel in this passage. It indicated the spread of Christianity all throughout Asia Minor, where we learned that brothers and sisters worldwide were going through the same type of suffering. Their suffering became productive as hearts were softened to the gospel. They were leaning into that suffering and rejoicing, allowing God's glory to shine through them. This unusual time can be productive for us also, as we remain sensitive to the suffering of others and prayerful as well for people's hearts here and globally to be turned toward God. We can be a beacon of light as we rejoice in God's goodness, even through our suffering. When we turn our anxiety over to God, we are acknowledging our need for God, our dependence on God, and our independence on one another, interdependence on one another. Our common suffering with our sisters and brothers globally pertaining to this current pandemic is real. Humans across the planet are experiencing similar effects of disruptions on a global scale and a crisis that we have never yet experienced. Yet, in verse 10, we are reminded that after we suffer for, once again that phrase, a little while, the God of all grace, all grace flows from God, who we get to join in eternal glory will restore, strengthen, support, and establish us. This is complete, total transformation supporting and strengthening us in every way. Will you allow God's grace to transform your suffering, to transform your anxiety, and to create lasting humbleness in you? For this I pray. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, you are the one whom we can trust who is filled with grace and offers it freely to us. We lean on you in our times of anxiety and suffering, knowing that you can transform these things. We ask for you to do that for us, that we might have more dependence on you and interdependence on one another. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.